0: All right. Hi, everybody, and welcome to uh, Sex in the Bull City. I'm Dr. Sophia Caudill, and I'm very excited today to have one of my recovery friends. Lee is here to tell us about uh, a memoir that he's written about um, his own journey in recovery and also um, just lots of, of wonderful personal tidbits of, of recovery and, and, and self-help and, and working on the self that he's going to talk with us about. And I'm sure we're going to have a really great conversation. And Lee, I'm really glad that you're here with me to talk about your your own journey and your memoir. I think a lot of people will be interested in reading it. But I also just want to let everybody know, I mean, this is what's really cool about recovery, is that Lee and I met on a website called In the Rooms. And we don't live anywhere close to each other. We were just now trying to figure out, wait, we're both on Eastern Standard Time. That's really interesting. (laughs) And so, you know, it's really nice, um, you know, especially during COVID. um, You know, recovery, I think, has been something that has kept people healthy and safe and connected has has been you know really connecting through technology and so i just love how technology has really opened up the world of recovery it's so very different than it used to be where you know you'd kind of meet people that were in your like 5 or 10 mile radius at an in person meeting and that can still happen but you know it 's really cool that we get to build relationships and and be recovery um, partners like with people all around the world, you know through Zoom but also through websites like in the rooms so that 's where where we met and and um, I, I know I attend a lot of meetings through in the rooms I also facilitated a meeting on Wednesday, which I think is where we met, although I think we've seen each other in other meetings too, um, codependency, grief, and relationships. So I'm just really excited to have this conversation with Lee and, um, I'm, we're going to go ahead and get started. So Lee, thanks so much for being here with me today.
1: Thank you so much. I, I feel honored. I, I feel, um, grateful and, uh, and for your service and your time to sort of connect with me. And, and uh, yeah, it's interesting when you were, you were saying in the rooms, you know, like I have this ego part that came out of me when I was, when people were all raving about being online, I was like, well, man, I was online 10 years before, like the pandemic, you know, like, so it's nothing new with, um with the, uh, the recovery world, like because being in, in the rooms for sure has been very helpful for me. Um, and I'm just happy to 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 be here to share my story at another level. This is one of the the continuing recovery goals for me is to put myself into uncomfortable situations and talk about myself and be vulnerable. And of course, we can thank Brene Brown for some of that. You know, the pioneering of bringing the vulnerability topic back into um our our language and our dialogue and, and my memoir is, is basically one great act of uh vulnerability for me that um that I've uh I've encountered in, in my recovery. Um so I was born in Edmonton, Alberta in Western Canada and uh uh grew up in a you know like a lot of us share like uh, you know very difficult sort of childhood um, uh, and navigating my way through that uh, through my life uh, being a young man and struggling with with so many different things and and in in life that you know a lot of us sort of experience maybe through childhood and adolescence and um uh, got into the drugs and alcohol uh through my adolescence and and I progressed quite quickly actually it was what we call in our recovery language the fatal progressive uh, uh spiritual malady or whatever that was that I encountered through my my youth and fortunately i'm so grateful that I was able to get into the twelve step recovery program in nineteen ninety six so I've been sober clean from drugs and alcohol for 26 years and wow. but I, I don't say that in an egotistical way but more like in a way that if anybody's listening then you know you can do it <laughs> you if you if you go through my my memoir and you hear a bit of the podcast today then um there's a lot of hope out there for for us and I know that we we share that in our language uh, a lot in in recovery and um so yeah there's lots to share with my memoir um the highlight for my memoir is obviously surviving childhood trauma um, and uh, being, you know, one of the tools of in the rooms and talking and reflecting on shame and, and trauma, um, you know, uh, one of the tools is to be able to sort of open up and get that rawness and talk about those difficult things and feel comfortable. With, uh, with 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 the topic, and so that again, mentioning that that's where I'm learning to be more and more comfortable with sharing my story and being honest about, about the struggles and and relationships and even even sexuality from a male perspective, how difficult that that has been through my life, uh, you know, being a male survivor of childhood sexual sexual trauma, um, and how that's impacted me, so. That's kind of where I'd like to kind of explore more of those discussions,
0: yeah, you said a lot there um, yeah I'm just wondering um, you know, without getting into too much gory detail, if you could if you could just help our listeners understand you know what what the experience of, of surviving childhood sexual trauma, what that was like for you, but also, you know, really your understanding of, of the hows and the whys of of why that led to addiction for you.
1: Thank you, yeah, absolutely. So interestingly enough, I, I share this in my presentation and I think it's really important to have a bit of a grounding for what happened for me. So in the process of writing my memoir, which took me about seven years, mm. um, basically, I kind of say that it's like a seven year step, a four step 10 kind of like situation, right? Um, in, in terms of the 12 steps. But one of the things that I, I, I thought was, you know, going back and having flashbacks and triggers in memory, I thought my childhood sexual abuse happened when I was age five. And, uh, and 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 uh, when I did more work and digging and digging away at things, I realized that the memoir itself was a process of healing, and it sort of led me into um, discussions that I had to have with other people that were very important. That 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 were part of my healing were very difficult. So the very first, when I worked with my editor, just pertaining to the memoir itself and the writing process, I want to share that. Um, my editor actually sent me an email once and said, where was your mother during this time? What was going on? And I thought, man, I never really thought of that question because I was so focused on all this other stuff. And it was a very profound and forgiving and self-love and, and, and a moment where I had to do a couple of months of work where I was communicating with my mom and... What she had said to me was when I told her I was age five and, and it was a male babysitter, by the way, that had had, had abused me, um, that lived next door to us when we, where we lived in the townhouse complex. My mom said to me, I don't think you were age five, actually. I think you were age like two or three. And my heart just went like that. And I just, just went into this other zone. Because for a long time, I was kind of confused about my age. And the reason why, why she said that was because she remembers passing me over the fence when I was wearing diapers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, that discussion, by the way, happened like about a year ago from this point. And I'll tell you, it had threw me into another spiral of other difficult work that I had to to navigate my way through, and I'm surprised I'm still here talking with you now. Because even though I've had so much time in in, in recovering stuff, there's still those moments of very you know difficult internal work that I had to do, and uh, to sort of reflect on what you're saying about addictions and the pro the process of of all of that navigating my way through uh, those those deep difficult you know, things that I was going through, you know, the the alcohol and the drugs was a way of, when I look at it, was a way of for me to feel like I connected with the world, mm-hmm. even though it was very, it was very self-destructive. It, it, it sort of allowed me to cope with the painful reality of what was going on inside of me. And a lot of us in recovery may, uh, may identify with that, but I could not see how I could communicate with the real world the truth about what was inside of me, and so for a long time um, and I'm learning this now in my trauma work which which I still do is the the difficult part of of holding those emotions inside my body at such a young age because they say, as we know with research and childhood trauma the earlier the the trauma happened, the more difficult it it is. And there's, there was just so many, there's so many like uh, barriers against me that that I had to face, you know, going through my recovery um, because of the earlier time that that trauma happened within my body, within my emotions. And I didn't have the verbal, uh, the verbal words to express those what was going on inside me cognitively or emotionally. I just could not communicate it. So the the, uh, the addictions were a way of, you know, sort of like highlighting uh, what I thought the world wanted me to be, you know?
0: I'm really um, th- I'm really appreciative for you for sharing that with us. And, um, you know, that's there's a lot there that I didn't know about you. And I appreciate that. Um, you're 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 so right. The earlier that we experience trauma, uh, the more baked in our brain and body that it is. And so we know from neuroscience that the ages of zero to three are are absolutely critical for us getting what we need from our caregivers. And so you know, for you to have experienced abuse during those years where it's literally baked in. It's baked into your brain. Um, that's that's not insurmountable. It's it's not impossible. But you're right. It adds another level of um, of work, and it also, you know, I, I know we attend. You attend the the codependency, grief, and relationships meeting. What what you said really speaks to me around original grief because original grief is. It's our our felt or perceived awareness of our earliest emotional wounding. So it's pre-verbal, pre-memory, and and there are no cognitive words or memories to kind of associate with it. Like that doesn't exist. Most people don't have memories, although I do know people who have memories when they're like before two. So, but the majority of us do not. And so, the original grief, which in in other language would be akin to Um, neglect, the original grief was actually baked in your brain before the abuse. And so when you, I mean, when you're doing that work, um, that's going to be so powerful for you to, to like do both with whoever you're working with. And then also, uh, you know, that original grief workshop, Um, the original grief workshop, I think is ideal for people who are like yourself, who have done a lot of 12 step work. Um, But anyway, that's just what was coming up for me is like, oh, well, you know, that's that's going to be super helpful for you um, to really go deeper because that grief is the foundational layer. Then the abuse is here. Um, But I think that's so important for you to have shared that with people. I mean, for me, that's a message of like, you know, anyone who's listening if, if you had abuse, first of all, we all have original grief, everyone on the planet, because nobody gets everything they need. So we all have to do that work. But for people who are listening, if they experienced abuse, like pre-memory, pre-verbal in that, in those original grief neglect years, that I'm just, I'm hopeful that they will know, okay, so this is a little, if this is a little bit longer of a process, it's definitely deeper work. And it's harder work. It's very different than going in with a memory at five or six that's specific. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. That that was yeah, that was profound how you just explained that. But that that's true. That's what I was trying to say was that pre-verbal part. And I will say, you know, part I just want to mention part of my journey with writing the memoir and my recovery of the trauma has really been looking at myself as an experiment looking at and and that has enabled me to be very very curious and curiosity has been a word that's been synchron like synchronicity has been coming up I, I've been seeing it a lot lately so I'm like hmm that's an interesting so curiosity and courage are words mm-hmm. that I've been seeing lately and I will mention that the the, the imagine the imagination in my creative process with my with my thinking it's sort of interesting I've sort of been able to use to me that's been the only element in a lot of ways that's enabled me to go back and look at what language was in my mind in my heart before I had words to express things if that makes any Mm -hmm. sense and I had to find a level of a process to do that other deep difficult work because you're right in in a lot of ways, most, in most cases, maybe, and I could be wrong, but we do have something to work with in terms of information on what we're, what our brains says, the, the memories and the message and the information we have in memory. Um, but, uh, but I I've often, what saved me is really looking at myself as a research project, yeah. you know, and going back and looking at that child, uh, and at the same time providing that self-compassion to that child and a lot of that work that I've had to do to to sit with that child that was there at that time and, and, and process things with that child. So in some of our recovery and psychotherapy language, you know, inner child worker, or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, there's so many different fads and trends out there now of, of <laughs> what we're doing, but, but, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, the, the there really is something to be, to be said about um, that difficult work to go in and, and listen to that two year old boy that was there and, and, and what, you know, finally listening to what I've had to, what that was trying to explain to me, you
0: know. Yeah, um, that's, I think that's, um, I think that's incredibly important work. It's, you know, it it is work. You're right, there's always a a different way that we're talking about doing that same work. And, um, you know, I, I, myself, I, you know, we're very similar in that way as far as recovery um, I I had to create the original grief work to heal myself because nothing was really getting there. It, you know, I, I'm a therapist and excellent therapy wasn't really getting me there. And 12-step wasn't really getting me there, but I still do all that and it's still really helpful. But there was sort of that drill down that I was looking for. So I used myself as the experiment also. And um, probably, you know, I would think a lot of, a lot of theories and techniques are probably created like that. Um, and, and then, you know, I don't know if this rings true to you when you were doing um, your work, but the way that I make sense of those early years is it's not important. Like this is where I think therapy gets stuck is like what did you get that's actually not helpful because it's not helpful what we got we know we didn't get enough cuz otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here <laughs> and so you know it's like the <laughs> yeah it's like okay so the way that it helped for me was like what's important what's important is what i did not get enough of that's that's where the nuggets of healing are and it's around um, these five things that I think are, are, I think these encompass everything, care, comfort, safety, nurturing, and affection. Like I think that covers all bases, uh, at least so far that I've been able to figure out. But for me, it was kind of flipping what therapy tries to do is like bring out the positives. and And I think what you're talking about is like, that's great, but we really, we, we really need to know what the negatives are so we can heal that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting that you say that because like there was a couple of things going through my mind, but the one thing that triggered me to look at, uh, like in, in the, in the, uh, like, it's been a year, almost a year since the memoir came out and there's been so much more processing going on because I've had family that reached out to me and, and were were saying like some family says, Well, I'm not gonna I don't wanna read that, I didn't know this about you. and I'm like, That's cool, like you know, do whatever and then other family has been like, you know, well, you know, how come you didn't tell us? Like mm-hmm. and I said, Well, I always I have a script now, I say, Well, are there things that you don't talk to anybody about at all in your life? You know, like and so that like I don't. I think the family that I asked that question to actually, they haven't talked to me in quite a while because, you know, there there there's challenges there for sure. But a lot of people will say like, you know, um, you know, we provided love for you, we provided caring for you, but what? How come it, it wasn't there? We couldn't see it. And I said, well, these types of things, you know, that people, we just become so good at like, you know, hiding away from others, like those raw things that are going on. But in relation to what you're saying, I've done a lot of reflection lately about and it, it relates to my recovery process with trauma as well, too. I, I am getting very overwhelmed with like the the fad and the trends of trauma work that's going on where, you know, it seems like there's a lot of coaches and and, and folks out there that. You know god bless them but you know they they might take a workshop on on a weekend for a trauma certificate and next thing you know they can go out and start you know kind of like helping people and there's just a lot of language around that now and i think i think as a professional myself um that that can be very dangerous to 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 uh what we're doing because we're opening people up and like what you said we're kind of I'm kind of going off on a little bit of a yeah. a, a different road here but it's it is related to recovery I think we're we're you know we're in that phase where you know self-knowledge we're, we're thinking self-knowledge of ourselves can can help us heal and recover, but the self, where it's almost like our human nature is just addicted to the information of knowing about ourselves and self knowledge. That we forget that it's that that it's okay, and we do actually need to be going through pain. I mean, I studied a lot of when I was writing the memoir and a lot of my trauma work. I studied a lot of uh, Carl Jung stuff and the shadow work, and going in and looking and accepting those dark parts of myself that you know actually help me. And and today I was reflecting that, you know, sometimes there might be a, a level of acceptance that I have to have or that we have to have where pain might be, deep hurtful pain might be with us for our entire lives and we may not ever resolve that and we may not ever recover from that. And my message is, is that that's okay as well too. Um, you know we can learn to live with both our pain and and the strengths that we have, and I think we're obsessed sometimes from a broader picture for me I'm kind of generalizing now we're obsessed with the you know the positive psychology stuff that you know is going on out there now,
0: <laughs> yeah, boy, well, you said a hundred things that i I wanna say i agree i agree i agree I agree um yeah i mean what i I totally agree with you um You know, while I do believe that therapy, you know, we need to, and 12-step, you know, we need to be focused on um, feeling better. We also, you know, part of that process, I firmly believe, is we have to feel all of our feelings fully. And that means the pleasant ones as well as, you know, the stuff that's really painful, like the grief and the fear, And the loneliness and the anxiety and the depression Um, obviously you know we need to feel those things in sort of a um, i don't want to say controlled environment but in the therapy room that's one time that's one place to do that but also um, i love empowering people to learn how to do that at home for free so that they're not beholden to constantly go back to therapy like there are safe ways we can feel the deepest of our grief which you're exactly right, um you know there you know what i've found though is is actually feeling it fully kind of breaks us free and takes us to the other side of feeling better, but when we try to like keep that you know kind of push down that's not helpful, and you know it sounds like for your memoir and it's still it's still happening with you. you already said like it, of course you're still processing as long as we're alive we 're going to be processing. Those of us like you and I who want to keep, you know, doing the personal work, although we know most people, they really don't want to. They just kind of get to this place and they stop and they live like that. And that's fine. That's their choice, too. But people like you and I, it's going to always be there's always going to be something more coming up like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. (laughs) Like, you know, how did I forget about this thing? Like, why didn't I think that was important? But, you know, Feeling everything to its to its fullness um, is so empowering, it, and it's also so rewarding. And I, I love that you that you brought that up.
1: Yeah, thank you. And and that helps to remind myself of the to, to clarify too. Like with the memoir, uh, the process of really writing it out and getting it published and and going through the editing uh, was. It, it was almost like I had to have this other structure for myself that was outside of myself that could help me, like you said, that safety was so important. So fortunately, I had such a great editor that helped me through that. And I often say that, you know, she could probably get a, a PhD in, in psychology after, like, you know, reading my memoir and going through it. Um, but I love what you said, because I actually experienced those real life, moments of of going back and and working through the memoir and and writing about those heart those raw emotional things that were happening because i was kind of like you know kind of like you know therapy for myself as well too by the writing and 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 processing that way um that you know i actually i think it's important that we talk about how the those difficult emotions uh there is there is sort of like this uh a great joy or something that sort of happens when you feel it right to the end of mm-hmm. that that I think actually physically helps us and 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 stuff to 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 feel like there there's just you know uh there's just a profound thing that you know when you work through that difficult emotion long enough it's almost like you hit a threshold you hit like a plateau. But a lot of us uh, may not see that it's hard for us to see that there's a reward at the end of that difficult emotion to work towards, because it is intense, you know, we know uh, it, it, those difficult motions are very, uh, very intense. So um, but I think that if there's more uh, dialogue around the the, the outcome, because maybe we need to see that then it's, it's more, it's, it's something maybe that can be, you know, we can look at more.
0: Oh, that's a great idea. Um, I mean, that, that gives me a, a great idea like for another podcast and, and, you know, maybe to have a few other people on to talk about just what you're saying, like the benefits of staying in the deep work as long as it takes, like being committed to seeing it through, it's, it's so hard. It's because, you know, it's different for everybody. Some people I've done this work with, you know, specifically, I can only talk for me and and, and people I've done the work for. Some people get through very quickly. Um, and then some people are like me. It, it took like over two years to really get through it um, once I really embarked down that road. But I, I think that's a really um, important, you know, I think this is a really important um concept that you bring up is, as you know, talking about that reward more. I think that's, that's so helpful. Um, but we're getting close to our time. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Um, so I want to know what you would say to people, men and women and everybody in between and outside of, 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 of that. Um, what would you say to people who have been, Abused very early in life.
1: Mm, that's a great question. Um, the first word that, that comes up for me is, is safety. Yeah. And and um, I I realized just going back a bit of history for me, so one of the the, the the things that I'm so grateful for is that when I worked out up in northern Canada here. I had, a, I worked in a very remote uh, Indian village, a First Nation village, when I was doing my work as a professional up there counseling. And I had access to so many things that were around me for that could keep me safe as I process things. And I realized that coming back into the city and with a lot of the, the there's so much that's going on and, and it, it's 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 so much distractions and so much you have to really work hard at time boundaries and people boundaries and and lots of stuff. I don't like to use that word boundary because a lot of us are throwing it around. But that's what it is, basically, maybe protecting ourselves to do the work. And definitely, I would say researching to to and to find a, a, a good a good therapist, a good trauma therapist, a supportive network. For me, my experience was that I built a supportive network around me. But again, I will mention and I talk about this in my memoir a lot, nature and being around nature was such a protective element for me, being close to water Mm. and close to trees and where I can feel wind and where I can look at the clouds and really go off into where I needed to go. But, making sure that I had the tools to come back yeah. uh, to a safe place. And nature provided that for me. So for me, I, I'm kind of biased here because I love nature and I love how much elements and properties that the, the, the natural world can provide for me for my healing. And I don't say that in a, like a like a, a guru type of way. Um, there is very profound things that can happen when we put ourselves into the natural environment uh, with our healing. Um, And so, but definitely finding safety, if you're going to do the work, sometimes it may take a couple of therapists that we kind of have to go through. I found that in my experience where we find one that will kind of fit for us. Typically for me, a good therapist to do heal early childhood trauma work is one that will listen um, and and just allow us to sort of like find that safety within ourselves and, and kind of learn Uh, And most cases I found um, in my experience was that I kind of know a lot of the answers and know a lot of solutions and I just have to sort of like tell myself, you know, I have to kind of tell myself, right? And we know that as a professional, that's where I'm at with that. So
0: yeah, that was good. So safety and really however someone finds safety, but a good trauma therapist and, and in a way, you know, ways that are effective to get ourselves grounded again, like after after doing the deep work. I mean, I agree with you, we have to have a way to get back to baseline and so that we can live our life and be functional. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's so important. I know, you know, for me, that's what I, again, I try to teach people that because it is, it is critical to know how to do this. Um, you know, I think, this should just be a part of living, is is processing feelings that that are hard. Um, But, you know, I know when I was doing this work, I would sort of block out time. I would cry when I needed to throughout the week. I'd go into it when I needed to, but I had to keep working. So I had to keep putting my stuff here so that I could, you know, be here with other people. But I would set aside like a few hours on Saturday and just like let it rip and <laughs> just like really, really feel whatever I needed to feel and then, you know, kind of get back to getting grounded again. And and so there's there's definitely ways to do this that are safe for people. But being very intentional about it and, um, you know, really having a plan is is what I'm hearing you say. And I think that's that's critical Um that's really important. Yeah, I just thought that would be a really good question to hear um, hear from you. I guess maybe the one last thing I might add to that, I don't know how you feel about this, but like, I think it's important for trauma therapists to have more tools in their toolbox besides talk therapy, like maybe, you know, brain spotting or EMDR or somatic experiencing. Um, Cause so, especially for like early childhood that we don't remember, it's it's baked in here, so we have to have a way to get to it without really knowing what we're getting to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just quickly, like EMDR for sure that I've studied and trained and uh, know some basics of it. I, I will mention that that the, the big thing that for me that was helpful was that window of tolerance. And I'm sure other therapy modalities talk about that. Window, have that window of tolerance, but it, it actually is very, very helpful as, as a safety mm-hmm. place to know that there's a structure there that when you go into that work that you know that there's that window, right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, what I, I love that word tolerance. Um, when I do, I, I just, you know, I definitely do trauma work with people, but I always take people into the grief. And what I've come to understand is Grief tolerance equals intimacy tolerance. Um, so the more that we can tolerate our own feelings, that means that we can tolerate intimacy with another, like in a much deeper way. But first we have to be able to to feel it here and allow ourselves to fully feel it. Um, so it's, it's just, you know, that's part of the benefit of, of staying with the deep work is, is you know, coming out on the other side, you know, we're actually coming out differently. You know, our brains are more equipped. Our nervous systems are more equipped to connect because um, we're, you know, we're not getting all dysregulated. Um, we we've sort of, we're part of the solution once we deeply go into that deep, deep, you know, place of pain, which is, you know, grief. And um, and the trauma kind of like is a great pathway to get in there. It's a great um, it's a great tool to use to get into the grief. Like I love your editor's question of um, where was, where were your parents? Where was your mom? I mean, that's that's getting into the grief. That's a great a great question that she asks you.
1: For sure, because so much was born out of that, you know, and in terms of intimacy as well, too, in terms of relational stuff, and I'm sure we'll have to have another maybe podcast on talking about, you know, what I've learned about my fears of intimacy and relationships and that that type of stuff and even my own sexuality and things like that is very important. I think for 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 males especially to to to, to talk about um, the shame that was behind there and all of those things, but the, yeah, those questions, the, the probing questions um, from somebody from the outside asking mm-hmm. was was very very helpful to, to learn about you know looking at our connections with other people for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I love this, Lee. I'm so glad that that we got together. I'm excited about your your book and and your 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 journey and just, you know, the 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 parts of you that you're sharing with other people, I think is gonna be really helpful. I know it's certainly been, I mean, I'm glad that you shared that with us. It's been very helpful for you to to work through a lot. I mean, if anything, you know, if, if anybody gets anything out of hearing hearing us chat today is like, wow, the power of writing. The power of someone slowing down to write their own memoir that doesn't have to get published. It can just be for you. And, you know, maybe sharing it with a friend or a therapist or a sponsor or a fellow traveler, whatever. But just that process of slowing down is incredibly helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And I know, yeah, definitely, I'm a huge advocate for journaling and writing. Um, it, it's so important. I mean, what I, I'll just say when an early recovery, I, I was I learned that, you know, when you get stuff out of your head and you write it down, it becomes, you know, less of what we make it in our own minds, right? Our minds are can add story, add things to it, and a lot of it become very irrational, sort of living. We live in those irrational fears in our mind of the stories that we make and putting it down on paper we look at it in a concrete way and and actually a lot of times it's not as not as as big as we think it is those stories and so that was part of the process that was very helpful too and for the listeners i i I advocate and 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 encourage you and, and suggest that uh writing is a very great tool for healing and uh that's one of the things with my memoir for sure is is um you know, the, the process of getting it out and and clearly looking at something from a different perspective.
0: Yeah, I love that. I'm glad that you elaborated on that. And I guess one last thing, and then we'll, we'll finish for today. I'm happy to do another one. Um, but, you know, anybody who's listening, if you haven't worked a 12-step program, um, there's so many of them out there. I highly recommend it because it is such, it's a free and wonderful way to Look deeply inside yourself and and work on really whatever you want, you might want to work on or even just joining one that you think might fit you and you're not even sure what you need to work on. Like, that's okay too. And, And maybe just just to bring good people around you so that you can slowly figure it out. I just, you know, think it's it's so help, helpful to work a 12-step program or two or three or four like I do. And so, you know, whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, Lee. This has been lovely chatting with you. And I'm excited um, to, to spend this time with you. I'm excited about your book. And I wish you all the best and um, the best of with your book and getting that message around, but also just your continued journey in recovery. So thank you so much. I appreciate
1: it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. So. Yeah. Bye, everybody.
0: Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for spending time with Lee and I in our podcast today, "Sex in the Bull City." We've been talking with Lee about his memoir, in recovery, and also just different ways of processing that have helped that have helped him. And we're just happy to be here with you. So thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to our next podcast with you. Have a good one. This is Dr. Sophia with Bull City Psychotherapy. Take care. Bye.